You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return, you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. you wherever you may be thank you for joining me once again you're looking very pretty and also very witty have a glass of sherry here to play you in as you take off your hat and galoshes is louis armstrong say lovers say that in france when they thrill to romance it means that it's so good Oh, say Seabon, so I say it to you, like the French people do, because it's oh so good, every word, every sign, every kiss, dear, leads to only one thought. And it's this, dear, it's so good, nothing else can replace, just your slightest embrace, and if you only would be my own for the rest of my days. I will whisper this phrase, my darling, say Seabone.
Armstrong there with C'est Si Bon. Men... Oh, that's me. At least I like to think so. Well-groomed hair helps so much in giving a man that prosperous, successful appearance. So that's where I've been going wrong. And I'm sure you want to know why Kreml hair tonic is preferred among America's top flight executives. Kreml never plasters the hair down with sticky goo, which makes your hair and scalp feel so dirty. Also where I've been going wrong, I like my hair to look like a waxy crop circle. It never gives hair that old-fashioned, greasy, patent leather look. You see, Kreml is a very highly specialized hair tonic. It contains a unique and utterly different combination of hair grooming ingredients that's never been duplicated in any other hair tonic. That's why Kreml keeps unruly hair so neatly in place longer. With such a handsome, healthy-looking luster. What I especially like about Kreml is that after you use it, you can run your hand back over your hair, and your hair never feels sticky or dirty. But your hand does. K-R-E-M-L. Kreml hair tonic. Kreml. That is one sexy name. And from one sexy name to one sexy song. Crank it up. Maybe you have a question. Well, throw it into the question pot. Strangely, there is no next line. Well, maybe I'll read your question out on the show, or maybe not. Now, here's someone with a handbell. First up, a question from Abby. No surname, therefore, it could technically be Carfax Abby, although I'm sure that's just my fancy. Abby writes, It seems the only episode of The Secret History of Hollywood available in the US are the Bullets and Blood series episodes. Is this the case, or am I blundering about and not able to find them? Please advise. Also... Canterbury. Canterbury. Canterbury, you say? Children of the night. What? Canterbury. They make. I beg your pardon? I could have been a contender. Canterbury. Nope, still not getting it. Canterbury. Canterbury. Sorry, what? A dying, dying, dying dinosaur, sir. Okay, okay. Yes, sorry, Abby, that was the case some time ago. Nowadays on The Secret History of Hollywood, the public series are Shadows and Carrie. Part 1 and 2 of Carrie are there, and Part 3 is coming very soon. In fact, whisper it, Part 3, Volume 1, which is almost five hours long, will be with patrons in the coming fortnight. The other series, all ten of the blighters, are on Patreon. Simply sign up, and there you have hundreds of hours secret history of Hollywood finery, simply go to www.patreon.com slash attaboysecret or try the link in the show notes of this episode. Or you can go to linktree.com slash secrethistory. Only takes a moment to sign up and I'll see you there. Another question here from the marvellous Jenny Lou, a firm favourite at our weekly Sunday film club nights. Jenny Lou writes, I like the question pot song. And I think your podcasts are extraordinary and unique. I have spent almost eight months catching up on Attaboy and Secret History episodes, only four episodes to go, and it's been a joy seeing how they get better and better. Thanks, Jenny. I'm like the Gorgonzola of podcasting. I'm like the sourdough starter of podcasting. I'm like the US version of The Office of podcast. Anyway, Jenny continues, I've always loved movies from young Hollywood. And it was looking for info about Cary Grant that led me to secret history. Your podcasts have given me a deeper appreciation and understanding of the history of the Golden Age. Very flattered. Thank you, Jenny. Flipping question. I don't remember where you said it, but I remember you not liking 1942's The Talk of the Town. I remember this because I liked the film very much and I put it in my Divergent Opinions with Adam list. 
Today I listened to the Whip Smart episode, and there you say that, on a recent viewing, you changed your opinion and now really like it. We all change how much we like slash hate many movies at different viewings. My question is, what is the biggest swing of opinion of a movie you've had from the first viewing to a later one, in either direction? Thanks, Jenny, that's super kind of you. Yes, I have changed my opinion on a few movies. I was talking to someone on Patreon the other day, and he reminded me that when I made A Universe of Horrors, I came down a bit hard on Black Friday with Lugosi and Karloff. But also, I changed my opinion on it. I love that one now. Yes, talk of the town. I think the reason I didn't like it too much the first time around was that I was just getting into my Carrie fandom a long time ago, and it was a very different role for him. He's almost sinister in parts of it. I have since come to appreciate it greatly, though. I tell you what, I'll probably be lynched for saying this, but one of the films I've had the biggest change of heart on was also a Cary Grant film. Now, hear me out. Arsenic and Old Lace. No, put the bricks down. Just wait a second. The first time I saw it, I just wasn't in love with the sense of humour. I found it very shouty and very madcap. Spin forward a couple of years... And having now seen it with a crowd a couple of times, I think it's just a riot. Brilliant movie. And a brilliant question. How about you guys? What's the film you've pivoted on the hardest? Let me know. And Jenny Lou, have a Canterbury. And remember, folks, if you have a question, go to attaboyclarence.com, scroll down the homepage, and fling your red-hot queries into the question pot white dodger. So throw your flipping questions into the shiny question pot. You might hear your question next time. So until then, get your thinking cap on for the question pot. Okay, that's the end. A film now from one of those Golden Age stars I've never quite clicked with entirely, and yet you can see from the legacy he left behind that he was very keen to make his own impact on cinema in the same way as Hitchcock, or to some extent, Ida Lupina. Robert Montgomery is the man in question, and you may be wondering what I'm talking about. He was just the film star, wasn't he? Well, the answer to that isn't easy. Fans of old-time radio will know Montgomery was a huge fan of Suspense, the radio series. In fact, he produced and directed a few episodes. He was partly responsible for expanding it from a 30-minute show to a 60-minute show. I admire the fact that he refused to be pigeonholed as a comedic actor. He did his fair share of thrillers, but for my money, he never looked as comfortable in other genres. I also admire that he wasn't simply content to be in front of the camera. He often spent lots of time with crews, learning all about their responsibilities and tasks, and gaining a more comprehensive education about the craft of film. For a while, he acted as the president of the Screen Actors Guild, and ultimately, he took to directing. In fact, he was rather successful at it. Lady in the Lake was his first commissioned assignment, a film noir in which he also starred as Raymond Chandler's Philip Marlowe, and shot it in the first person. A tricky experiment that wasn't quite the success he wanted it to be, I don't think. However, groundbreaking in its own way and very memorable. Robert Montgomery, ultimately, 
and you may disagree with his opinion, always seemed to be a little too late to the party in terms of creating his own legacy. I think he admired the work of Hitchcock and made the move to suspense work, but it wasn't ever as good. I think he likes the hard-bitten legacy of folks like Bogart, but again, he couldn't really pull off Bogart as well as Bogart. What you're left with is a screen legacy of also rans. And while I do seriously applaud his attempts to mark out his own patch of Hollywood soil, I can't think of a single definitive Robert Montgomery creation that wasn't done better by someone else. And that's not to say I don't like Robert Montgomery. I think he's great in lots of things. I just don't think he did anything you could call truly timeless. And that's why he's never the name that old Hollywood fans think of when they're asked to name their all-time favorites. Anyway, today I want to focus on the second film he directed, 1947's Ride the Pink Horse, a noir set in the sometimes glaring sunlight of a seedy Mexican small town, a definite end of the road for all of its inhabitants. Just quickly, if you're a patron of this show, you'll already be familiar with this tale as I released a bonus episode of this podcast for Patreon last week, which featured the Lux Radio Theatre's adaptation of this film. Anyway, we join Montgomery, who takes the lead as Lucky Gagan, an ex-serviceman who arrives in the small town of San Pablo with a chip on his shoulder and revenge on his mind. Did you do that? He'll be all right. Well, I wasn't worried. A lot of people would be very grateful to you. Jonathan can be awfully stuffy. Yeah, I noticed. Do you mind my asking what you're doing here? Waiting for Frank Hugo. He ought to be here in a few minutes. I'm having dinner with him. Do you expect to join us? Look, why don't you just sit down and stop pumping, huh? It turns out that Gagin's best buddy in the war, Shorty, was double-crossed and murdered by gangster Frank Hugo, who was using Shorty to defraud the U.S. government during the war. Gagin's plan is to use the single piece of evidence of Hugo's crimes to blackmail him for 30 grand. I wanted what Shorty had. He refused to give it to me. There was a fight. Your pal Shorty wasn't as tough as he thought he was. So you had him killed? Huh. Let's put it that he lost the argument. To three guys with blackjacks. Were there three? And three pretty stupid guys, too. Stupid? Yeah. They didn't get what they were after. They didn't? No. I got it. A canceled check for a hundred grand on a Mexican bank, signed by you, and made out to a guy who was making patriotic speeches about the time I was getting a tan in a place called New Guinea. You sound like a disillusioned patriot. The number of the check is 6431. You got me convinced. All right, Mr. Gagan, how much do you want? 30 grand? Shorty only wanted 15. The extra 15 is an account of Shorty. A real friend. Don't kid yourself, you're doing it for Shorty, you're doing it for you, just like I did what I did for me. Look, do I get the 30 grand or do I turn the check over to Mr. Retz? So that's the way it's gonna be. That's the way it's gonna be. But it'll take time for Hugo to get the money together, meaning that Gagin has to spend an entire night waiting. During the evening, he meets three people who will change his life in all kinds of ways. Government agent Retz is also in San Pablo in search of the evidence that'll send Hugo to jail. Pancho is a carousel operator who takes a shine to Gagin and offers to help him in any way he can. And finally, Pila, a young Mexican girl who develops an instant fascination with the roughhousing Gagin and who longs to escape the drudgery of the small town who all thinks she's strange. Why do you have to look like that? Like what? Like you come out of a sideshow. What's a sideshow? 
Why do I look like that? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's a dress. This is my grandmother's dress. She gave it to me when I come to the fiesta. I never had a dress so nice as this. Well, might be all right if you took some of them spangles off it. I take them off. You might also comb your hair. My hair? It's not right. It's all right for mice to sleep in. Here. Go get yourself a permanent wave or something. Maybe a manicure, huh? No, I can't take the money. Why not? It's too much. Go on, take it. Make yourself look human. You like me if I look human? As a noir thriller, this stands somewhat alone in terms of story and mood. Not often you see a noir at the end of the world like this one. Scratch below the small town surface, though, and the noir markers are all there to see. From the femme fatale, played by Andrea King, the snappy dialogue, the long shadows, the flashes of brutality. Transplant this to the rubbly tenements of downtown and you are looking at a classic noir. So I like the fact that this is taken somewhere new. It's like noir goes on holiday. Casting-wise, this film is a marvel. Thomas Gomez as Pancho is incredible. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars for this, and it's easy to see why. It's a brilliant performance. You start off thinking it's going to be some kind of stereotypical slob role, but it turns into something far more colorful, more tender, more human, more nuanced than the usual ethnic drinking buddy types you get in this period. <laughs> You're drunk. It's possible. <laughs> but never too drunk for know my own house. Have a look. The Palace of Pancho. That's a fine ceiling. That's good walls. Beautiful landlord. <laughs> Fred Clark as Hugo, too. Remarkable, really. He looks like a very tall bank manager, and yet he comes across as truly menacing and mesmerizing. Robert Montgomery, I think, should have been brave enough to cast someone else as his lead. I do think he's good, but against the other guys in this film, he sometimes looks as though he's playing out his hard man fantasies. He's not totally miscast, but yet again, you imagine someone like a Bogart or a Robert Mitchum or a Robert Ryan or John Garfield here, and it instantly becomes a better film. The standout turn in this film, though, is the utterly fantastic Wanda Hendricks. She was 19 years old when she made this, and her age difference does show against the grizzled faces in this film. However, she more than holds her own, some achievement when you consider the talent on display. Her face is so pure and so naive and so perfect for the role she plays here. She's meant to be this small diamond in the roughest soil who hopes for better or even just something different for herself. She begins the story as an almost supernatural presence, turning up in shadows and around corners. And as the film goes on, she reveals herself to be just a girl. It's very hard to explain. She does wonders with a role that's light on dialogue. She's required to simply have presence. And that she does. Honestly, she is incredible in this film. And how refreshing that in amongst these big, strong men who slap and slur and kick and fight, that it's the small, frail, little angel-faced girl who turns out to be the true hero. All in all, a wonderful surprise, and a film that, for my money, is the jewel in Robert Montgomery's directorial canon. It's unsettlingly human. Usually, film noir has the effect of keeping you at a distance. Ride the pink horse, there's something different. It spends long stretches of time shunning the de facto noir elements and brings out the human side of its characters before the theatrics start again at the end. And what that does is it makes the explosive, 
violent climax hurt a little bit more. It's a definite recommend from me, and if you find yourself intrigued, and if you're a patron of my shows, then you can check it out in my classic movie library right now. There was a boy very strange enchanted boy they say he wandered very far very far over land and sea a little shy and sad of eye but very wise was he and then one day a magic day he passed my way and while we spoke of many things fools and kings this he said to me the greatest thing ever learn is just to love and be loved in return thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return Thank you, Nat King Cole. That was Nature Boy. And what a wild story there is behind that song. I'll tell you about it sometime. On to a different criminal intrigue now in the company of Clark Gable, Constance Bennett, Billy Buck, Henry Travers, and all the other goodies in MGM's toy box, written by Mank himself, Herman Mankiewicz. We're in criminal territory with 1935's After Office Hours. Well, good morning, Mr. Branch. Good morning, it's four o'clock in the afternoon, and get off the edge of that desk, it's Louis the 14th. Say, where have you been for four days? Three days. Four days. Three days, Jim. Three days, four days, it's all the same, no change of subject. Where have you been for four days? In Brooklyn. Four days of... What are you trying to do, set a record? <laughs> drunk again? How can I get drunk in three days? Jim Branch, played by Clark Gable, is the managing editor of a newspaper, and he's tired of having his hands tied by his bosses, especially when it comes to the Patterson case, a high-profile divorce case among the snooty set. Jim's been warned off the scandal despite having all the evidence at his fingertips because the bosses are palsy-walsy with the 
Patterson dynasty. Alongside this tribulation is another little thorn in his side. He's just been handed a concert review by the paper's new music writer, the enigmatic N.S., and it's the worst lot of garbage he's read in years. So you're N.S.? Well, I, uh, yes, in a way. You can't be N.S. in a way. Either you are N.S. or you're not N.S. Exactly. What I mean is I am N.S., Nancy Shannon, but that's not my real name. Oh, incognito. Royally? No, my name is Shannon Norwood. Norwood? Any relation to Mrs. Scarlett T.L. Norwood of Newport? Yes, yeah, she's my mother. Mm -hmm. Do you like to work? Love it. Yes, you meet so many interesting people. I haven't so far. You know, Mr. Branch, I think the news record is more intelligently handled than some other papers. That's the reason I chose it, to get my practical experience. Because no matter what anyone thinks about theory, practical experience is always the best. And I think... Would you like to have some tea sent in? I'd love to. Have Cap bring in the files in that butler case. Didn't you wish to discuss my review with me? Yes, I did. You know, it's easy enough for you, after all you've learned at Oshkosh College... Grinmar. Oshkosh. To pour out your scorn on people who happen to be old-fashioned enough to like Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. You know, our readers may not be as smart as you are. Are they as smart as you are, Mr. Brown? It's a tie. I give them what they like, and they like what I give them. Well, I give them what I like and what they should like. <clears throat> Tell me, uh, you're not seriously contemplating a newspaper career, are you? Yes, for a few months, doing the best music reviews this paper's ever had. Then I'll try magazines. I might even edit one or two. Yes, yes. Well, in view of your higher career, I'm afraid that forcing you to slave away your time on this paper is merely throwing an obstacle in your upward path. Obstacles never bother me. Oh, no, but I'm too concerned with your career. So I'm going to do you a favor. I want you to go down, see the cashier, ask him for two weeks' pay, and then tell him you're fired. Yes, Jim can't stand the society type and hopes to never see Sharon again. That is, until later that evening, when he runs into her at the theater and realizes that she's one of the Patterson's best pals. Well, supposing I don't want to come back. Please. You made it very clear to me this afternoon just what you thought of me as a music critic. Oh, forget about that. I've got a new idea for you. I want you to write color pictures of big events. Now, uh, you know, take tonight's opening, for instance. Uh, there are a lot of our readers who don't care a hoop for what the reviewers think of the show, but if we could make them feel that they'd really been at that opening themselves, you know, tell them who was there and how and why. Tell See, Rick? Tell them all about the 70-year-old jeweler who always takes his 95-year-old mother to all the first nights. And uh, then about the society crowd coming into the theater, the uh, Rothericks, the Lindens, the Heltons, and, uh, and then the younger set, uh, uh, Mrs. Patterson uh, with uh, Tommy Bannister and Lady... What do you mean by that? The what? Mrs. Patterson with Tommy Bannister. Well, I thought... Mrs. Patterson was not at the theater with Tommy Bannister. I was, and uh... nothing bores me more than malicious gossip. Yes, we've all seen Gable as a wily newspaper man before. We know he's up to no good, and just in time too, because it just so happens that the Patterson divorce case is about to become the Patterson murder case. What are you doing here? Well, I, I thought you might want to know. Mrs. Patterson was found murdered in her home this morning. I don't believe you. It's true. We just had a flash of it in the office a half hour ago. That's why I hurried right up here. Hello. Good morning. Whatever in the world is the matter? Well, I've been trying to break the news to your daughter. Mrs. Henry King Patterson has been murdered. Murdered? Now, if they play this thing up from the banister angle, you're going to get your name in the paper. You wouldn't want your name in the paper, would you, Mother? Oh, oh certainly not. They're holding an investigation out in the Patterson home this morning, but they're not letting any of the papers in on it. Well, what can I do? Well, you can get me in there. You're a friend of the family. Once I'm there, I'm pretty sure that I can get the police to soft-pedal certain angles of the investigation. Well, I may be able even to get them to leave out certain names of people who may be innocently involved. That is, if I can get there in time. That's up to you. It's common as mud underhanded reporter versus society girl with a wisecrack for every occasion as Clark and Constance spark off against each other while trying to solve the biggest murder intrigue in town. 
I mean, who wouldn't want to see that movie? Okay, lots to love, lots to enjoy. Gable has never been more conniving, but also so knockabout. He treats this thing like a screwball comedy, and I'm so here for that. Constance Bennett is the haughty ice queen who finds her defenses slowly dismantled by this rough diamond. They're held together by Herman Mankiewicz's unbeatable dialogue. It pops, it fizzes, it sings, it snaps across the screen like a hail of Tommy gun bullets. You know, it doesn't seem possible this river could have been here for centuries just as a background for you on the night of August the 18th. But that's the way it seems to have worked out. You say awfully nice things, Mr. B. Not nearly so nice as I'd like to say. And talk about sumptuous. I love that you don't just get the seedy side of town in the newspaper office scenes, but also the height of sophistication in the society sets. This is MGM spending lavishly, and it shows. Now, the tendency in these mid-30s murder-themed wisecrackers is to play up the whodunit angle. Just think about the ex-Mrs. Bradford and the thin man, etc. After office hours takes a different route. We know who the murderer is. We even see the crime happen. This film isn't hung up on concealing the murderer until the last moment. It's all about how fast the dynamic duo at the heart of this thing can get to the solution while the murderer tries to stumble them up at every turn. Toss in an unlikely romance, plenty of snappy dialogue, a rich versus poor angle, and you have After Office Hours, a blistering little crim-com that I just adored. Honestly, this really is the real deal. One of the smartest, most fun little romps I've seen in quite some time. It's one of those films that reminds you just why you love old Hollywood. Such good fun. And of course, if you are a patron, then this is now available in the classic movie library. Well, we're sticking with Gable for our radio outing this time. In 1936, he and Marlena Dietrich paired up for Lux's adaptation of The Legionnaire and the Lady. A headline that might sound familiar. That's because in 1936, years previously, Dietrich starred in Morocco with Gary Cooper, which is the same story. So a radio remake of a movie for once. An interesting twist, I'm sure you'll agree. It's sordid, it's sweaty, it's definitely sandy, and it's Hollywood radio at its finest. Buckle up for Clark Gable and Marlena Dietrich in The Legionnaire and the Lady. See you afterwards. Ladies and gentlemen, we have grand news for you tonight. For the Lux Radio Theater has moved to Hollywood. And here we are in a theater of our very own. The Lux Radio Theater, Hollywood Boulevard, in the motion picture capital of the world. The curtain rises. Lux presents Hollywood. Tonight, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap bring you Marlena Dietrich, Clark Gable, Cecil B. DeMille, Jesse Lasky, and other great personalities. Miss Dietrich, Mr. Gable, and an all-star cast will present the romantic melodrama The Legionnaire and the Lady. Our music is under the leadership of Mr. Louis Silvers, who is director of music for the great 20th Century Fox Studios and winner of the Motion Picture Academy Award for Music. Mr. Silvers. And more good news. We give you, as our Hollywood producer, a man who will not only bring you the greatest plays and players, but the very spirit of Hollywood itself, that outstanding figure of the motion picture world, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille.
Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. There are two theaters in this town, almost as famous as Hollywood itself. They are Grauman's Chinese and the Carthy Circle. Perhaps it's a coincidence that a production of mine opened both of these theaters. The King of Kings raised the curtain at the Chinese. The Volga Boatman was the first theater ever shown at the Carthy Circle. First picture. And tonight, it is my privilege to open the new Hollywood theater, whose audience is greater than any four walls could encompass. The largest theater in the world, the Lux Radio Theater. The stars of our production tonight are Marlena Dietrich and Clark Gable. And the play, The Legionnaire and the Lady. Is it possible that the manufacturers of Lux Soap asked me to produce this series of programs because of all the deluxe bathtubs that have been seen in my pictures? <laughs> they should have a soft spot in their hearts for me. But I think the real reason goes back far beyond the recollection of any of us. When William the Conqueror whipped the Saxons at the Battle of Hastings in 1066, the Blunt de Mill family crest was born. The motto on that crest is Thy Light, My Life, which is, of course, in Latin, and reads Lux Tua Vita Mea. <laughs> so you see, Lux has been a household word in the de Mille family for 870 years. But producing a program like this is a privilege and an adventure. But truthfully, I, I'm a little awed at the responsibility. Sitting before me in the Lux Radio Theater is the most distinguished and perhaps the most critical audience ever assembled in Hollywood. I see a lot of familiar faces. There's Joan Blondell, Gary Cooper. He stars in my next picture, The Plainsman. Stuart Irwin and his lovely wife, June Collier. Al Jolson. Ruby Keeler. There's Francho Tone. Ah, and there's our mayor. Frank L. Shaw of Los Angeles. And I, I think I see Freddie March. I fed him to the lions the last time I directed him. And now we ring up the curtain on the play of the evening, The Legionnaire and the Lady, starring Marlena Dietrich and Clark Gable. Algiers, the land of sun and sand and yellow dunes that slope down to the sea. In the harbor of Port Nehar, a French steamship rides at anchor. Near the rail, gazing at the sunlight minarets of the tiny town, stands Ami Jolie, an entertainer from the shabby music halls of Europe. Suddenly she turns from the rail and speaks to the ship's steward. Oh, Stuart. Oui, mademoiselle. Are we going to land soon? In a moment, mademoiselle. There is no pier in Algiers. The passengers must take a motor launch to the shore. Oh, thank you, Stuart. May I take care of your suitcase, mademoiselle? No, I'll carry it myself. Stuart, may I see you for a moment? Oh, monsieur l'officier, of course. What can I do for you, monsieur? My valet is in the state with my luggage. You go in, please, and make arrangements to have it sent to the hotel? Of course, monsieur. I will see to what it wants. Oh. Mademoiselle, your suitcase. It is very stupid of me. That is the second time I've dropped it. Here, let me help you pick up your things. Oh, please don't bother. Well, it's no bother at all. There you are. Merci, monsieur. You're very kind. Why not? Is this your first visit to Algiers? Yes. I make the trip quite often. 
Perhaps I can be of some service. I think not, monsieur. I'd be happy to help you. I won't need any help. Well, if you do, you can always reach me at the Hotel du Pré. I am Monsieur Labessier. Merci, monsieur. But now, will you excuse me? Of course, mademoiselle. Monsieur Labessier, I have... Oh, Stuart, come here. Uh, that woman who was standing here, do you know who she is? Why, I know, monsieur. A vaudeville actress, probably. A vaudeville actress? Well, just how do you know that? <laughs> we carry them every trip, monsieur. They come to sing and dance in the cafes here. We call them suicide passengers. One-way tickets. Uh, they never return. Hmm. Well, what launch is she booked for? I believe the third, monsieur. And you? Naturally, the third. You, mademoiselle? Thank you. Well, be careful. That board they call a gangplank isn't very stable. Ah, there we are. There seems to be quite a crowd to greet us. <laughs> it's the usual thing. The natives here meet every boat, sell you anything from a fez to a bottle of Arabic perfume. That's fragrance in the air now. That is not perfume. <laughs> no. No, that's just the waterfront of Algiers. Oh, shall we get away from here, mademoiselle? If you please. The center of the town is this way. If you would like to take a carriage with me, I should... No, I'll walk. I haven't far to go. But your suitcase. It is very light, monsieur. No trouble at all. But perhaps I'd better walk with you. The streets aren't very safe down here near the waterfront. I'll be quite safe, monsieur. And look. There are soldiers to protect me. A whole regiment. Yes, the Foreign Legion. Mostly criminals themselves, so I've heard. Won't you please ride with me? Thank I... you, monsieur. But I prefer to walk by myself. As you wish, mademoiselle. Hey! Now listen here, fatheads. We are back home again. And just because you did a little fighting, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, <laughs> well, here comes us, the foreign legion. Each man a hero. The whole town's ours and we're going to rip it wide open. Well, forget it. This time you're going to behave like gentlemen even if it kills you. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Legionnaire Brown. Legionnaire Tom Brown. Yes, sir. Step forward here. Yes, sir. Well, did you hear what I just said? Yes, sir. What? Uh, well, uh... You weren't listening, were you? No, sir. Why not? Uh, yes, sir. I mean... Shut uh... up! Yes, sir. I want to warn you, Brown. We're not back in the States now. This is Algiers, the Foreign Legion. If you go starting up any trouble among the girls here the way you did the last time, you're going to find yourself in the jug. You get that? Now, go on. Get back there in line. Yes, sir. And remember what I said to you guys. Take it easy and act like gentlemen. Company! Dismiss! Hey, Tom, Tom Oh, hello, Blimey I say, what's eating the sergeant? Blimey if I didn't think he was going to bite your head off Oh, he doesn't worry me, he got away from driving a hat Say, where are you going tonight? I don't know After what the sergeant said about behaving like gentlemen I don't know where to go Ah, forget it I know a little Spanish girl in this burger who can cook a steak to a turn What do you say? Suits me, if we can find a steak In this here blasted eat Get cooked right on the cow. Come on, I'll find one. Say, I know this joint from top to bottom. I, when I was here and... Hey. Hey, blimey. 
Wait a minute. Pappy, will you look at that? I? What? Where? That girl, carrying the suitcase. Oh, blimey. She sure is a looker. Yeah, she sure is. I wonder what she's doing in this town. Oh, dance old girl, I suppose. Yeah. Well, maybe I'd better find out. Yeah, why? I thought we was going for a meal someplace. Now, a little later, Blimey. This is pretty important. Why? Listen, Tom. So long, Blimey. All right, go ahead and desert me, lady killer. Hello, is this her? Hello, soldier. You going my way? It depends. Which way are you going? Any way you are. Here. Here, let me carry your suitcase for you. Don't bother. I'll carry it myself. Oh, kind of independent, huh? You mind if I walk along with you? If you want. Well, that's friendly enough. How about stopping off for a drink? I know a little place. I'm sorry, monsieur. I have no time now. Oh, I get it. Okay, sister. There isn't anything I can do for you. There is. You can tell me where's the Café Marrakesh. The Café Marrakesh? Oh, sure. It's just across the street. Come on, I'll show you. Thank you, monsieur. You work there? I'm a singer. If you are doing nothing tonight, you might come and hear me. Yeah. Okay. I'll remember that. Well, there you are. It's that door there. Anything else? Nothing. Okay. I'll see you tonight. Is this the Café Marrakesh? It is. I am Rotin to the proprietor. And I'm Ami Jolie. Ami Jolie? Oh, yes, yes. I have your letter here somewhere. You are ready to work tonight? Of course. Good. Your dressing room is at the end of the hall. Go there and wait for me. I, uh, I want to have a talk with you before you go on. Very well, monsieur. Come in. How she is back. This is a great night for you. If you make a hit, you can stay here as long as you like. You're very kind, Monsieur Latinto. Now, Mademoiselle, one word of advice. Uh, pick yourself a protector. It will give you prestige. And always choose an officer in the Legion. The private is nobody. Pick the uh, officers. Uh, they have the uh, money. You uh, understand? Perfectly. Uh, good. Are you ready to sing now? I will go out and make the announcement. In a moment. Good. Uh, come as soon as you can. It's a good table. Uh, right up in front among the best. Shut up. We're not supposed to be here. Why not? Not with an adjutant in the house. Old man Cesar sitting over there. See him? Blimey, if he ain't the old goat. Uh, if he's seen me here, he's probably complained to Latinto. Well, don't he like it, the adjutant? Like me? <laughs> See, he'd stick a band at my back and laugh doing it. Ladies and gentlemen, the Café Marrakesh is honored tonight by the presence of the distinguished painter, Monsieur Le Bessier and my old friend, Adjutant Cesar of the Foreign Legion. Tonight, we open the program with Mademoiselle Ami Jolie, a newcomer whom I hope you will receive with your uh, usual discriminating kind. <laughs> we treat her very kind. Maybe she can sit on my lap. <laughs> Who's a wise guy? Gabon, come and see. Ladies and gentlemen, I take the pleasure in presenting Mademoiselle Ami Jolie. Oh. Oh. He's in for a sock. Now he's going to get it. 
Hey, wait. Tom. Tom, come back here. Look at me, Gabon, but I insist. Look, mademoiselle, I'll show you how we make love in the Legion. You will like it. Stop it, I say. Stop it. Oh, but, mademoiselle, you are enchanting. All right, Gabon. Take your hands off that girl. What is that? You heard me. Leave her alone. I take no orders from you. Gabon, do what he likes. And so do I. How do you like that? There's more where that came from, Gabon. Get up and I'll put you away for keeps. Nice work, Tom. And please, gentlemen, no fighting here. Everyone back to their tables. Francois, throw that Gabon out and keep him out. Everyone, please, back to your tables. Mademoiselle Ami Jolie will sing later. Ami, go to your dressing room. Orchestra, orchestra, play! Go ahead, sister. You never can tell what'll happen now. May I say thank you, monsieur? Oh, that's all right. I had a good time myself. Yeah, he come into me all right, he did. Come along. Excuse me, monsieur. Here, take this. Hey, Tom, she threw you a flower. <laughs> I know it. You think I'm blind? Say, she's a little bit of all right. I like her. Your taste is improving. Well, Monsieur Lutinto, my first appearance was not a success. Oh, oh, oh that is a nothing. <laughs> a common occurrence here in Algiers. But I have a news. Adjutant Cesar has already asked for the honor of your company. Adjutant Cesar? Who is he? Oh, a very important man, high in the foreign legion. And uh, <laughs> one of my best customers. Tell the adjutant I'll try to oblige him. Uh, good. When I find the time. Oh, uh, and now, mademoiselle, you must go out there again. Uh, not to sing this time. This time you sell apples. That is the most important thing. You go around the hall from table to table and sell all you can. Ten percent is yours and ninety percent is mine. Oh, you will make a fortune. <laughs> Give me the basket, monsieur. Uh, good. Here, go now. An apple, sir? Who'll buy an apple? An apple, sir? Mademoiselle. Oh, Monsieur Lavassière. I didn't we anticipate this more, pleasure monsieur. so soon. Can I also have an apple? But I have no change for that. I hardly expected you would have. You are again very kind. Mademoiselle, may I have the honor of your company after the performance? I'm sorry. I have disposed of the balance of the evening. Some other time, perhaps. Of course. You will excuse me now, please? <laughs> apple? An apple, sir? Here, mademoiselle. Do you wish to buy, sir? Later, perhaps. I am adjutant Caesar. Oh, yes? I have already spoken to Lotinto concerning you. Sit down. I'm sorry, adjutant. You mean you refuse to sit with me? I'm very busy now. Some other time, monsieur. But some other time won't do, mademoiselle. I would like your company here and now. Would you? It is a shame, adjutant, but I must disappoint you. Who'll buy an apple? An apple, sir. An apple. Here she comes, Tom. She's selling apples. Good evening, soldier. Good evening, mademoiselle. Uh, thanks for the flower. Can I offer you an apple, too? Yeah, sure. Let me 20 francs, Blamey. That makes 60, you owe me. Here you are. Take it, mademoiselle. Thank you. Two weeks' pay is a lot of money for an apple. You can have it for nothing, if you like. Oh, no, no. Nothing doing. I always pay for what I get. I'd sit down if I were you. Come on. You needn't pull me down, soldier. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. You're very brave, aren't you? Oh, I don't know. Uh, why? Do you like brave men? Perhaps. Hey, wait. Where are you going? I'm busy now, but later. I'll be out there, on the balcony. Okay. I'll see you later. You can smell the desert tonight. Hot, isn't it? Cooler than inside. Expect to stay in Algiers very long? 
Who knows? They say when a singer comes here to work, she stays forever. I've seen it work out that way. I beg your pardon. Adjutant. Good evening, mademoiselle. Good evening, Adjutant César. I saw you come out this way, and I gathered that you were no longer very busy. But I am. You see, I invited this gentleman to come out here and sit with me. Oh, I see. <laughs> uh, mademoiselle, you are new in Algiers. Perhaps you do not realize that this uh, gentleman, as you call him, is a legionnaire, a private. I choose my company by their looks, not by their medals. Am I to take it, then, that you prefer his company to mine? Take it as you like, monsieur. Thank you. But I'm still the adjutant here. Legionnaire Brown, you will please leave here at once. I'm off duty, sir. I asked you to leave. Did you hear me? Yes, sir. But the lady has asked me to stay. May I remind you that I'm your superior officer? I'm sorry, sir, but I'm going to stay. Very well. Legionnaire Brown, you will report to headquarters in the morning. Report to me. Personally. Very good, sir. Good night, mademoiselle. You shouldn't have done that. I know it. You think being here with me is worth the risk? Sure, if you think so. Go on. Play some more. I think you'd better go now, soldier. All right, lady. You won't have any trouble getting rid of me. Nothing like independence, is there? Well, maybe I am independent. With women. You evidently don't think much of women. Well, I'll tell you, lady. It's their fault, not mine. Been in the Legion very long? Almost three years. Three years? <laughs> it seems like 300. You sound tired of life. Well, I don't know whether I am or not. I was when I joined this outfit. But how about you, mademoiselle? Been on the stage very long? Long enough. Tired of it? No. Well, what in the name of 10,000 corporals did you come to a country like this for, anyway? I understand that men are never asked why they enter the Foreign Legion. That's right. They never asked me. If they had, I wouldn't have told. When I crashed the Legion, I did surpass. There's a Foreign Legion of women, too. But we have no uniforms, no flags, and no medals when we are brave. No wound stripes when we are hurt. Well, look here. Is there anything I can do to help you? No. I've heard that before. Or do you think you can restore my faith? In men. Oh, no, 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 not me. You got the wrong man for that. Anybody who has faith in me is a sucker. You'd better go now. I'm beginning to like you. You know, I've told women about everything a man can say. But I'm going to tell you something I've never told a woman before. I wish I'd met you ten years ago. Good night. Good night, and thank you. We pause for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Marlena Dietrich and Clark Gable in the Lux Radio Theater's presentation of The Legionnaire and the Lady continue in just a moment. Meanwhile, we'll give you a glimpse behind the scenes in Hollywood as we take you on a quick tour of the screen capital. First stop in Hollywood, the main casting office of the Metro-Golden-Mayer Studio, a seething mass of men and women seeking jobs. We enter as two hopeful young extra girls are talking in the corner. I heard they're casting 25 girls for Joan Crawford's new picture, The Gorgeous Hussy. Think we stand a chance? You bet I do. 
What makes you so sure? Oh, because in this scene, it's your face and shoulders that count. You're casting complexions today. Oh, that's okay for you, but look at me. I wish my complexion looked as nice as yours. Maybe there is something in the way you take care of it. That business of removing cosmetics thoroughly with Lux toilet soap. I guess I'm just one of those cosmetic skin girls they talk about. Oh, well, don't worry. Hey, Joan. Oh, wait a minute. They're calling to me. What is it? Okay for you today. Oh, you used me in the scene at the Dutch Embassy. Hey, mister, what about my friend? I can't use her. Gee, Alice, I'm sorry. And now, a table for two at the fashionable Trocadero, the supper club that is the rendezvous of the stars. You look lovely tonight, darling. Perfectly adorable. Oh, darling, you're just saying that. No, honest. You've got everything that any of those movie stars dancing there have, and especially that knockout of a complexion. Well, darling, maybe you should thank those stars for that, because I take care of my complexion the same way they do. Well, I don't know about thanking those stars for what you do, but I sure thank my stars for what you are. Every girl needs a lovely complexion. And the movie stars here in Hollywood have shown you how to keep skin lovely. Don't allow dust and dirt, stale rouge and powder to clog the pores. Before you put on fresh makeup during the day, always before you go to bed at night, use Lux Toilet Soap. Marlena Dietrich. As Amy Jolie and Clark Gable as Legionnaire Tom Brown continue with our play, The Legionnaire and the Lady. It has been several hours since Tom told Amy that he wished he had met her ten years sooner. At Foreign Legion headquarters, his head reeling from the heat of the tiny office in which he sits, Adjutant Caesar is working at his desk. An orderly enters. Adjutant. Yes, what is it? Legionnaire Brown's here. Oh, is he? Tell him to come in. Hey, Mister Andre. Thanks. Good morning, Adjutant. You asked me to report to you this morning. I have not forgotten. Stand over there. Isn't there, Brown? I think it is hardly necessary to remind you that insubordination is a serious offense. Insubordination? But I was off duty. Off duty or on duty, the word of a superior officer is law. You refuse to obey. You are therefore guilty of a breach of conduct and subject to court-martial. Report to the sergeant and place yourself under arrest. Yes, sir. Of course, there's uh, nothing personal in this. I mean, uh, you're not just sore about last night or anything. Oh, you forget yourself. No, I don't. You have no reason to court-martial me, except that you wanted that girl to yourself. And I took her out from under your nose. Silence. Silence your foot. You don't scare me with a nickel. Well, a year in prison might. You ought to know. What's that? A year in prison. That's short compared to what you were going to serve. Before you escaped. Are you quite sure you know what you're talking about? I'm talking about a little matter of homicide, murder, in Berlin. The murderer's name was Cesar. He got 30 years, but he escaped. It's a funny thing. He looked just like you, Adjutant, without the mustache. He's an brown, you. <laughs> you're a fool. Sure. If I wasn't, I wouldn't be in the Foreign Legion, sweating blood for a rat like you. Entree. That woman's here, resident. The one you sent for. Send her in. This way, mademoiselle. Good morning. Good morning. You wish to see me? 
if you don't mind. Hello. Oh. Are you here, too? Yeah, sure. You never can tell where you're running to me. For the next few days, we'll know exactly where to run into you. Orderly. Yes, Sir Jim. Take this man to the guardhouse. The guardhouse? What for? That's the Legion's business, mademoiselle. And mine. Take him. Hello. Sure, sure. I'm sorry I couldn't stay, mademoiselle. Good morning, Adjutant. What are you going to do with him? That is not the question at the moment, mademoiselle. The question is, what are we going to do with you? I don't understand you, monsieur. No. It is the policy of the Legion, mademoiselle, not to interfere in the private affairs of any resident. But when the private affairs of the resident intrude upon the performance of a soldier's duty, we find it necessary to take steps. What steps? Such as asking the person to leave Algiers. In the future, mademoiselle, will you please act accordingly? That's all. One moment. Last night was my fault. More than the legionnaires. I ask you to... to be lenient with him. You were not very lenient with me, mademoiselle. Please. There is nothing I can do. Good morning. Good morning. There's the story, Monsieur Lavassier. You said I should come to you if I needed help. I need it now. I think the legionnaire is the one who needs help. Monsieur Lavassier, what will they do to him? I don't know. Personally, I shouldn't care to have Adjutant Caesar as an enemy. I seem to have the unhappy faculty of causing trouble wherever I go. <laughs> oh, nonsense. You know, I, I carry some weight with Caesar. Possibly I can help you. Every time a man has helped me, there has been a price. What's yours? My price? A smile. I can pay that, monsieur. Where is the legionnaire now? In the guardhouse. I saw him this afternoon. I bribed the guard. Did you tell him you were coming to me? No. He says not to worry, that he'll be out before morning. Well, perhaps he will. He's in the same cell, Sergeant. Legionnaire Brown. Oh, hello, Sergeant. Nice of you to call. Sit down. Make yourself comfortable. No wisecracks, you. No wisecracks. Here's your pass. Hey, you mean I'm getting out of this joint? Yeah, the door's wide open and you can do as you like. Until 7 o'clock in the morning. What's the idea of this? You're leaving for a mouthful pass tomorrow. Oh, no, no, not me. You know, I'm beginning to like this town. Tell Cesar I'm not going. <laughs> Tell him yourself. He's going along this time. Who's going along? You heard what I said. Caesar's going. Oh. Yeah? Yeah. Now, go on. Get out of here. Yeah, sure, sure. So long, Doug. And see if you can stay out of here for once in a while. I'll, I'll do my best. Tom. Hey, Tom. Hey, blimey. Blimey, come here. No, I'll be waiting for you. That's the idea. Yeah? Well, don't talk now. Let's get away from here. Hey? Come on, come on, come on. Keep walking. Oh, what's up? You're out, ain't you? Yeah, until 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. It's truth. He ain't going to give you a court-martial. Oh, no, not Mr. Cesar. He got a better idea than that. I think I'm on to it. He's going to get me out on the desert, face me in the right direction, and put a bullet in my back. Put a bullet in... Oh, the eats gotcha. You. you think so? Well, what does Caesar want to plug you for anyway? My old failing, Blimey. I talked right in his beard and told him what was what. You see, I know something about that bird, and now he knows I know it. Struth. But he's not going to use me for target practice. I'm through with the army, Blimey, washed up. I've been looking for the right kind of woman all my life, and I think I've found her. Now, listen here. If you're talking about the mademoiselle of the cafe... That's who, Blimey? Well, you're crazy. She ain't nothing but a cheap little gold. Oh, no, she isn't, Blimey. She's all right. And I'm quitting the army and taking her out of here tonight. You don't say. 
Anybody hear what the penalty is for desertion? There's a hundred ways of dying, brother, and I'm picking my own. Come in. Good evening, mademoiselle. Monsieur Belabassier, come in. And how are you this evening? I'm well, thank you. The flowers you sent are wonderful. Not half so wonderful as I should wish. Any news of him? Some. He's not to be court-martialed, but they are going to transfer him. Oh. Oh, that means he... He will have to leave town. Of course. I see. Do you love him? I don't know. I hope not. Look, I've brought you something. Brought me something? A bracelet. May I put it on you? I can't accept this, monsieur. It's worth a fortune. Anything of less value would be unworthy of you. I'm sorry, monsieur. I cannot take it. Well, let me leave it here on the dressing table. If you've changed your mind. I won't. Has anyone ever told you that I'm a very wealthy man? I've heard so. Does it mean so little to you? In what way, monsieur? I'd like to take you away from here. Would you? Exactly what do you offer now? The conventional thing. My offer is highly respectable. Marriage. You're a strange man. You find it so strange that I should be fond of you? Must I answer you now? I'd sleep better tonight if you did. Well... I don't think I care to take advantage of your tempting offer. Then you're in love. No. I don't think I am. Supposing you'd never met a certain private in the Foreign Legion. What would your answer have been? It might have been the same. I don't know. Come in. Hello. You. Yes, I'm sorry to bust in like this, but I'm leaving for the Sahara in the morning, and I just came to say goodbye. Tomorrow? That is short notice, isn't it? I think you two will want to be alone. I understand you're leaving on a rather strenuous journey. I wish you good luck. Thanks. A bientôt, mademoiselle. A bientôt. Will you be gone long? When will I see you again? Well, maybe never. Never? Yeah. You see, something tells me I'm not coming back this time. Then you must not go. You know, that's funny, but that's just what I was thinking. I could desert and board a freighter for Europe tonight. Why don't you? I would in a minute. If you'd go with me. You really you... want me to? I really want you to. You know, you've done something to me. I don't know what. But I've been thinking about you every minute since I saw you. Will you come with me? Yes. i go with you. Who is it? It's time for you to share offers. Why are you not at time? In a moment. Wait here for me. I'll be back. Me. I thought the hat you gone. No, no, not yet. I'm waiting here for Mademoiselle uh, Ami to come back. Oh, of course. A wonderful girl, isn't she? Oh, you're, you've noticed that too. Everyone has. But I believe I've fallen a little farther than the rest. Oh, yes? Not that it's done me any good. What do you mean? She's refused me. Refused you? You offered to marry her? Yes, about ten minutes ago. Here in this room. Oh, I see. Never mentioned that. Why should you? Hey, you're a rich guy, aren't you? Plenty of dough. So my lawyers tell me. 
didn't make much difference with Mademoiselle Annie. She wouldn't even accept a gift from me. That bracelet there on the dressing table. I left it in the hope that she might change her mind, but I'm sure she won't. I'm afraid I'm fighting a lost cause. <laughs> you know, that's a laugh, isn't it? That I should want to marry her? Oh, no, no, no. I wasn't thinking of that. I was thinking of myself. Legionnaire Tom Brown, 20 bucks a month in Keith. Trying to pull the kind uncle act with a girl who could marry a millionaire. <laughs> you know, I might have known it was too good to be true. Suppose she's in love with you. And suppose she's not. What difference does it make? Do you think I'm going to step all over the biggest chance of her life? Oh, no, not me, mister. I may be only a buck private in a tin sword army, but I know when to take a walk. And I'm taking one now. Are you sure you're doing the best for her? Well, it's best for her. Hey, do me a favor, will you? She'll be coming back here in a minute. When she does, let me talk to her alone. Of course. What are you going to tell her? Well, I don't know. Yet. But I'll think of something. I'll pick a fight with her. I'll make her sore at me. When I make my exit, she'll probably be glad to see me go. Well, do as you think best. Good luck. Was I long? Yes, a little. I was just leaving. Leaving? But I'm not ready yet. I wasn't thinking of you. I'm going along. Has anything happened? Yeah, lots happened. I've changed my mind, sister. Why? I'm no sucker, lady. Maybe you thought I was, but I'm not. Tom, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yes, you do. I've been on the level with you, and I thought you were with me. But you shouldn't have left me here alone. I saw too much. What did you see? That pretty little diamond bracelet over there on the dressing table. Well? A new acquisition, isn't it? Or are you going to tell me you borrowed it from a girlfriend? It was given to me tonight. I haven't accepted it yet. Oh, that's a better one. Go ahead, sister. It sounds swell. You think that I... I don't have to think. Girls like you don't wear diamonds. And when they do, well, that doesn't go with me. I'm hard-boiled, but not enough for that stuff. A one-man woman is what I want or nothing at all. This time, it's nothing at all. So long, sister. There goes your soldier, mademoiselle. Yes, he didn't desert after all. I beg your pardon? Nothing. Oh, sorry. How straight they march when they go out. Yes, until the heat gets them. It's a bad section they're going to. I wonder how many of them will come back. Are you worried about all of them or just one? What good is it to worry about anything? Those women marching behind the men. Who are they? The women? I would call them the rear guard. How can they keep pace with the men? Well, sometimes they catch up with them and sometimes they don't. Very often when they do, they find their men dead. Those women must be mad. Oh, I don't know. You see, they, they love their men. Oh, they're even madder than I thought. But you see, I've turned decent. What? I said I've turned decent. I'm in love. <laughs> you? That's a riot, that is. Hello, Tom. Hey, blimey. What the devil are you doing here? Oh, just come up with a relief. Oh, Lily had me into a bit, Tom. It's that blasted machine gun up there on the hill. Sergeant. Sergeant. Yes, sir. Here comes the adjutant, blimey. I'm in for something. Have you spotted that machine gun? It's up there someplace, sir. Have you send out a scout? Legionnaire Brown. I know it. Legionnaire Brown. Yes, sir. Take a man with you and spot that machine gun. If you get close enough, use your hand grenade. It must be destroyed. Yes, sir. 
I'll go with him, sir. Join me. Are you crazy? Quiet. You can go with him if you want. Thank you, sir. It'll be a real pleasure. Report to me when you get back. Yeah. When and if we get back. Well, I had the right hunch, didn't I? That's too bad, Brown. Yeah. Well? Hey, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute, you. How about those ten francs you owe me? Oh, shut up. Come on, Blimey. Right behind you, Tom. So long, fellas. Go on, you mug. Okay, Blimey. We'll crawl along this trough and slip over the ridge down there. Right. Don't need to be making it tough for us. Hey. Look. What? Over there. The adjutant. He's laying in beyond that sand dune. This is it, Blimey. Here's where I get that bullet in my back. No, you don't. If he makes a move for his gun, I'll let him have it right between the eyes. Don't be a fool. There he goes. Put the gun down. Put let it down. Let me down. Let me alone. Somebody's got it. Holy. Hi, what is it? The adjutant. He's been hit. Good. Blimey, I hope he croaks. It'll save me the trouble. He's, he's got it bad, Blimey. I hope so. Come on, come on, let's get going. Keep low, Tom. They're blasting the thought and heavy. They must have a spot. Get over there behind that hill, Blimey. I'll go up this way. Right into their faces, you man. Oh, go ahead. I'll be right back. Come back here, Tom. Come back here. Come back here. Tom. Tom. Oh, he's been hit. Tom, where are you? Here. Here, Blimey. Over here. Oh, did you get it, Tom? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I did, Blimey. Where is it, Tommy boy? Where is it? In here. It's got me all tied up in knots. Tom. Tommy boy. It's all right, Blimey. But you you better get back. And leave you here? I I don't think you you can help me much. Funny. Funny, isn't it? You were glad Cesar got it. Save you the trouble. Looks like I did the same thing for him. Tommy. Tom. Lord, Lonnie. In just a moment, you will hear more of the story of the Legionnaire and the Lady co-starring Marlena Dietrich and Clark Gable. Do you know what a casting director is? If you want to get into the movies, he's the man you see, or try to see. He knows the names, faces, abilities, and salaries of thousands of players. It is a pleasure to present my friend and associate who has been casting director at the Paramount Studio for many years, Mr. Fred Datig. Yes, Mr. DeMille, a casting director has a hard job. Directors are always asking for things like six sets of girls who look like triplets or a cross-eyed man who can keep his eyes crossed in the same way all through the picture. Last year, a director asked me to get two Tahitian girls who could sing, dance, and play musical instruments. I had to send all the way to Tahiti for them, and when they finally got here, the picture had been called off, but the girls stayed here. Later on, the same director started to make a picture in Tahiti, and we had to send those girls to Tahiti for him. But those are the unusual things. Every day I'm looking for actors and actresses who not only have talent, but who screen well, who have lovely figures, good features, and fine complexions. And Mr. DeMille, I think it's fitting on your Lux Radio Theater to emphasize complexions. Your Lux Toilet Soap 
means a lot to both the stars and the extras. They must have good complexions. And that's why Lux Toilet Soap is the official soap over on the Paramount lot, and in fact in every other great studio in Hollywood. We return to the Legionnaire and the Lady with Marlena Dietrich as Amé Jolie and Clark Gable as Legionnaire Tom Brown. Several weeks have gone by, and Amé has received no word from the Legionnaire. Convinced that she will never see him again, she has accepted Le Bissier's offer of marriage. It is the night of their engagement dinner in a room at the Hotel du Pré. Amé Jolie sits by the window, staring into the street. Le Bessier, receiving no answer to his knock, enters. Amé. Amé, where are you? Here. Sitting in the dark. Let me turn the light. That's better. We've all been waiting for you downstairs, Amé. Have you? I'm sorry. I didn't know. What have you been doing, darling? Sitting here by the window, thinking. About anything in particular, honey? No, nothing in particular. You're not at all excited. This is the night of our engagement dinner, or have you forgotten? How could I forget? Everybody's here. I'm dying to meet you. I didn't think they would come. On the contrary. They're delighted to witness the unconditional surrender of the most exacting bachelor in the world. Are you happy, my dear? Of course. Shall we go down now? Oh, wait. I, I want to speak to you. Anything wrong? Yes, I have news of your legionnaire. What news? His company returns tonight. That is what's left of it. You mean... I mean that he's not returning with it. He's been wounded. He's in the hospital at the mouth of Paz. Is he badly hurt? Oh, I don't know. They wouldn't tell me that. Then... Then he may be dying. He may be dead by now. Perhaps. I've got to go to him. Army, are you in love with him? I've got to see him. Please. Very well. You don't mind? <laughs> no. You see, I love you, Armin. I'll do anything to make you happy. We'll go together. Thank you. Now, wait here, and I'll order the car. Uh, there it is, I believe. The hospital? Yes. You want me to go in with you? No. I... It would be best if I went alone. Very well, my dear. Good morning, mademoiselle. Something I can do for you? I'm looking for Legionnaire Tom Brown. Brown? Uh, hospital case? Yes. Uh, let me see. I'm sorry. There's no one by that name on our books. Are you sure? Well, he might be under some other name. Have a look. Thank you. Hey, uh, hey, Desco Lee, I want to see you about that guy that... Uh... Well, well, well. The break the mademoiselle from America's Cafe. Hey, don't you remember me? I'm the top sergeant from the 5th Regiment. Say, so what are you doing down here anyway? I'm looking for Legionnaire Tom Brown. Oh, Brown. Oh, you won't find him here. He... He isn't dead. Dead? <laughs> nah, you can't kill that bird. They thought he was a goner when they brought him in, and a couple of days later he was tearing up the bedclothes because they wouldn't give him a drink. They met him out a week ago. Is he still in town? Sure, sure he is. He's around the corner at Christine's. Uh, but say, are you going to see him? Yes. Well, then tell him not to forget the ten francs he owes me. Miss Christine, what kind of a place is it? It's a cafe. Just poke your head in and look around. When you see a gal with her arms around a guy's shoulder, 
Ten to one, that guy will be brown. Come, senor soldier. Wake up. Pay a little attention to me. Oh, go away. Will you? Can't you see I'm busy? Busy. Ah. Carving in the top of the table a name. A-M-Y. J-O-L-L-Y. Amy Jolly. That's the girl's name, eh? Yep. Who is she? Oh, I wouldn't do you any good if I told you. You love her very much? Yep. Poor boy. She's your sweetheart, no? Oh, shut up, will you? Go on, beat it. See, all right. You don't have to get mad at me. Hello, soldier. Army. Mind if I sit down? No. No, of course not. Thank you. You gave me a surprise. What are you doing in this part of the world? I heard you were wounded. Yeah? Well, I heal fast. Never felt better in my life. Are, uh, are you married yet? No. I heard you were going to marry that rich friend of yours, that La Bessier fellow. I am. Are you sure? I don't change my mind. I get it. Well, I wish you all the luck in the world, mademoiselle. Is that all you have to say? Yeah, that's all. Well, that's me. I guess we're pushing off again. Where to? I can't tell, but wherever it is, wherever it is it'll be thirsty March. I better go and get myself a drink. You're not going to say goodbye. We leave at dawn. Come and see us off, will you? Maybe. We'll do what you think is best. So long, mademoiselle. So long, soldier. Your man, he is gone, senorita? Yes. Did you look sad? Why you don't go with him? He doesn't want me. No. He wants no girl. Only one whose name he carved here on the table. See? A-M-Y-J-O-L-L-Y. Amy Jolie. Amy Jolie? He carved that? See? He thinks of her all the time. Well, did you see him? Yes, he's well again. They're moving him on to fight. Well, shall we go back? Not yet. He's leaving at dawn. I'll wait till then. You want to sit in the car here, Ami, or shall we go back and look for him? I see him now. His company's not marching yet. You want me to call him over? Please. He sees us. He's coming this way. What are you going to say to him? Just goodbye. Hello. Out early this morning, mademoiselle. Yes, we came to see you all. How do you do, sir? How do you do? I'm sorry I can't stay long. My company's ready to march. You're going to be out long? Can't tell. Hey, lady killer. Offer, oh, what do you want? There's a war going on out there. Oh, you're coming or each other. All right, all right. Shut up. Well, here we go. Goodbye, mademoiselle. Goodbye. Goodbye, sir. Good luck, Mr. Mayor Brown. Thanks. Well, there he goes. Out into the sun. You're going to miss him, aren't you? I love him. I knew you did. He loves me, too. How do you know? I always knew. Army. The women, the rear guard, they're beginning to follow the men. It hurts me to look at them. Why? Because I want to be one of them. I want to follow, too. You love him that much? I love him that much. They're almost out in the desert now. I'm going after him. You're mad. I won't let you go. Please. You have been so kind to me, but I can't help it. Try to forgive me. Try to understand. I've got to go to him. Army! I must go to him. 
Darling. I understand. Tom, Tom. Tommy! Tommy, what are you doing out here? I followed you. I will stay with you forever. Doc, don't be a fool. Go back. Go back before it's too late. No, I'm going to stay. But you know what it's like out here. It's torture. Nothing but heat and sand and sun. A burning sun that'll blister your body until you scream. I don't care. I'm one of the rear guard now. One of the women who love their men. And that was the Lux Radio Theatre with their version of The Legionnaire and The Lady. Wonderful. Remember, if you'd like more of this show, then sign up now at patreon.com slash attaboysecret or go to linktree.com slash secrethistory for over a hundred bonus Attaboy Clarence editions plus early access to this main show. This was out on Patreon a whole week before it came out anywhere else. You'll also get a weekly invitation to our Sunday night film club, Movie Provided. We're currently enjoying Pre-Code April. It's very fun. You'll also get access to Memoirs in Minutes, a mini-biography series about the supporting players you know and love. Blueprints, a bite-sized version of The Secret History of Hollywood. You'll get all 11 series of The Secret History of Hollywood. Movie commentaries to listen to alongside your favorite movies. You'll get e-books, previews, so much more. Just go on over to www.patreon.com slash attaboysecrets or linktree.com slash secrethistory. Or hit the link in the show notes of this episode. And thank you in advance to anyone who does, as you are making these shows possible. And in turn, keeping the spirit of old Hollywood and classic movies very much alive in today's chaotic world. Well, that's it from me for this episode. Thank you for joining me. And remember to take superb care of yourselves and those you love. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and e-books. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. Welcome to the future in this year's wildest super fun show for adults. Hey gang, it's Josh Olson. And Joe Dante. And we want to tell you about our podcast. It's about movies. Josh, there are a thousand podcasts about movies. Sure, but ours is different, Joe. That's true, actually. Our guests are writers, directors, musicians, comedians, actors. Hell, we even have other podcasters on. We play no favorites, and they don't talk so much about their own work but about the movies that have influenced them and made them who they are. We call it the movies that made me. We've talked with people like Guillermo del Toro, Little Stevie Van Zandt, Martin Short, Ethan Hawke, William Freakin, Barbara Crampton, Jonathan Ross, Dennis Lehane, Mark Duplass, Adam McKay, Lorraine Newman, Jason Reitman, Alison Anders, Elijah Wood, Stephen Canals, Eli Roth, Joe Bob Briggs, Roger Corman, Bobcat Goldthwait, Leon Douglas, Dana Gould, Martin Campbell, Shane Black, Albert Hughes, Emily Deschanel, Joe Biafra, Larry Fessenden, Nicole Hollison, Rashad King, Lee Daniels, Rosalind Chow, Clancy Brown, Yardley Smith, Ike Barrow, Steve Arquette, Thomas Bell, Jim and Uwe Boll. It may not be highbrow, but it's lots of fun. Subscribe for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. In color to thrill you as never before, 